Well, since becoming a dad a few months ago, there are two questions that I often get asked. The first question, and I've heard this from a lot of people, is, so, when are you going to have another one? When's number two going to be on the way? When are you going to grow and expand the family and get the minivan? When are you going to have another one? And every time I'm asked that, I'm like, really? Like, it's been, it's been six months. Can we slow it down? Not quite on my, on my radar yet. You know, they say that, that moms should take some time to recover between, between kids. Dad needs some time to recover. I've got nine months of sympathy eating. I'm still working off. I've got to get this back into tip-top shape. It's going to happen. We're going to get there. But dad needs a little bit of time before that, before that happens. The second question that I get asked a lot is this. So are you getting any sleep? Like, I bet you're exhausted. I remember those days. I remember those nights. You just must be so tired. Are you getting any sleep? And the truth is, I always feel a little awkward and a little uncomfortable when I get asked this question because I can count on one hand the number of nights where I've lost sleep. Like, I've been rocking out seven to eight hours this whole time. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed. Now, a lot of that is due to the fact that my wife is just an, an absolute rock star. As a mom, she makes it look effortless and, and easy. She's doing an incredible job with her. But we've also hit the genetic lottery with our daughter. Like, she just has never really had issues sleeping. She was sleeping through the night almost right away. It's, it's been almost kind of easy. And I'm hesitant to, to use that word. It's been kind of easy. But here's what I know. And here's what I'm bracing myself for. Number two is going to be a nightmare. They're going to be a little monster. Like the first one, they, they trick you. They're like, they're all sweet. They sleep. And you're like, man, I'm such a good parent. I've got this figured out. I should be writing the books. I should be doing the conferences. And then number two just comes and hits you out of nowhere. And when that happens, listen, I know I'm going to be needing some sleep. But whether you're a parent in here or you're not a parent, I think we can all agree that it's important to have a good night's sleep, to get enough rest. Like when you stay up late watching the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, any Lightning fans in here? The next morning, like you're, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're drained. It takes you some time to kind of get going. You're kind of feeling it all day. You're just not 100%. You're, you're not all there. And, and for the past month, I've been having a, not, a lot of nights like this, not because of our, our little girl, but because every single night there's been NBA playoffs or NHL playoffs or a football game. Like all the, sto- the sports are stacked on top each, of each other for the first time ever. So I'm staying up way too late, waking up way too early, and it's starting to wear on me. But like, I think we, we all know how important it is to get enough rest, to get enough sleep, because when we are physically exhausted, when we are tired, it begins to wear on us. But you see, there's another kind of exhaustion that we suffer from that isn't physical, that really doesn't have anything to do with the amount of sleep that we get, and that is spiritual and emotional exhaustion. Where our soul is weary and tired. Where there's this this heaviness and this weight and this burden that we just carry around with us throughout the day. You know, the past six months have been chaotic, to say the least. And it doesn't seem like the, uh, the chaos is going away anytime soon. But here's what I find very interesting. 
is that during these past six months, we have maybe gotten more physical rest than we have in years. I know that's not the case for everybody, but for many of us, we were forced to stop, to slow down, to clear our schedules, to stay at home. Many of us, we've gotten more physical rest than we have in years. But despite the extra physical rest, many of us are more tired than ever before. We're more weary, we're more worn out than ever before, and why is that? I think it's because we are emotionally and spiritually exhausted. You see, we're constantly seeing brokenness just all around us. We feel the the hostility and the division between people. We see tragedy happening happening day after day after day. I mean, it constantly fills the the news. It's all over our social media feed. And because of this this constant barrage of negativity and sadness and hopelessness and, and brokenness, I think many of us were living with this this low-grade exhaustion where we're just spiritually and emotionally just drained. We're walking around and we're we're worn out, we're tired, we're just always exhausted. And what's the problem with that? What's the problem with living with this this low-grade exhaustion all the time? You know, I kind of think of it like like our cell phones. You know how when your cell phone has low battery, it'll switch into something called low power mode. And when your phone is in low power mode, it's still on, it still works, you can text, you can call, you can email, you can go online. Everything seems to be perfectly normal and fine with your phone. But internally, there are functions in your phone that stop working at their fullest capacity. It's not being used to its fullest potential anymore when it's in low power mode. And I'm afraid that many of us are living our lives in low power mode. Like on the outside, we look good, we look fine. It seems like everything is, is, is working. But internally, under the surface, there, there's something going on in our soul, something going on in our heart that's just not quite right. We aren't functioning at our full capacity. We aren't living to our full potential. Many of us, we're we're feeling stress and anxiousness. Some of us are feeling depression. Some of us are feeling hopelessness. Some of us are are feeling, feeling this burnout. We're suffering from this emotional and spiritual exhaustion. And what I think this, this, this exhaustion, this tiredness has, has shown us is that we have this, this need for rest. Not just a physical rest, not just more sleep, but rest for our souls. Rest for our hearts. Now here's today's big idea that we're gonna unpack for a bit. It's this, is that our need for rest points us to the one who can offer us true rest. That our deep need for rest, for spiritual and emotional rest, it points us to the one who is able to offer us true rest. This morning, we are continuing our series through the book of Esther. And for the past few weeks, we've seen this incredible story unfold of how this this woman named Esther, this Jewish woman, becomes queen of Persia in this unlikely situation. And through God's providence, and through Esther's willingness to leverage her position as queen of Persia, God was able to use Esther to deliver her and to deliver her people from their enemy, this man named Haman. 
You see, Haman was the king's top official and advisor. He was kind of serving like the, the prime minister of Persia. And Haman hated the Jewish people. And it was all because this guy named Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin, refused to bow down to Haman. And when that happened, Haman began to despise him. He began to hate the Jewish people. And he used his position as prime minister to issue this decree to destroy the Jewish people. And on this single day, all the Jewish people living in Persia were to be executed. But last week we saw that because of Esther's courage to go to the king to reveal this evil plan from Haman, Haman was actually executed, put to death on the gallows that he had constructed for Mordecai. This enemy, this evil man was defeated. But the decree that he had issued, it was still in effect. The Jewish people still faced the potential of this incredible evil, this, this devastation that was awaiting them. And that's where our story continues today. In Esther chapter eight, Esther chapter eight and verse three, we read this. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet, she wept and begged him to revoke the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the, his plot devised against the Jews. The king extended the gold scepter toward Esther, so she got up and stood before the king. So once again, we see Esther, she takes this incredible risk. Because if you approach the king without being summoned by the king, it would cost you your life unless the king extended his gold scepter, meaning he was willing to hear you out, he was willing to receive you. And once again, the king extends the gold scepter. He says, I'll hear you out. What do you have to say? She's crying, she's begging, and listen to what she says in verse five. She says, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor with him, if the matter seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let a royal edict be written. Let it revoke the documents the scheming, that scheming Haman wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how could I bear to see the disaster that comes on my people? How could I bear to see the destruction of my relatives? She says, look, I, I know that, that Haman is gone. I know that he's been executed, but his decree is still in effect. And if we don't do something about it, my relatives, my people, they're gonna be destroyed. She's asking the king, will you write a new decree? One that overturns the one that Haman wrote. Will you do something about this? I can't just sit back as queen and watch my people, watch my relatives suffer and die. And look how the king responds in verse seven. The king said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, he says, look, I've given Haman's estate to Esther, and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. I'm, I'm taking this seriously. I've already done these things. Now he says this, write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews, and seal it with the royal signet ring. A document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring, it cannot be revoked. So Esther and Mordecai, they're asking the king, will you write something on our behalf? Will you go before us and, and do this and help us out? And the king says, I'm gonna do something even better. I'm going to give you my power and my authority as king. And I'm going to let you write a document, let you write a decree, and you can say whatever you want regarding the Jewish people. And I'll give you my signet ring, and when you seal this letter, it cannot be overturned. 
It cannot be revoked. I will let you leverage and use my power, my authority. I mean, look at the, the incredible favor that God is giving Esther and Mordecai with the king. He's saying, you can have my power, you can have my authority. So they begin to, to write this decree, to overturn what, what Haman issued. And, and what was in this decree in verse 11 says this, the king's edict that, that Esther wrote, it gave the Jews in each and every city the right to assemble and defend themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate every ethnic and provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and take their possessions as spoils of war. So they issue this new decree that says, if you're, if you're a Jewish person, you all are allowed to assemble together. You're allowed to defend yourselves against any enemy, any army that comes your way. And because this decree is issued, it keeps the enemies away. They don't even bother attacking them. It spares the lives of countless Jewish people. And then verse 15, it says this, that Mordecai, Esther's cousin, went from the king's presence, clothed in royal blue and white, with a great gold crown and purple robe of fine linen. The city of Susa, they shouted and rejoiced. And the Jews celebrated with gladness, joy, and honor. And every province... And every city where the king's command and edict reached gladness and joy took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday. God used Esther, this unlikely hero who was willing to leverage her position to be courageous. He used Esther to deliver her people, to rescue them from the hostility and the oppression of their enemy and to lead the Jewish people into a time and into a season of rest. Rest from the hate, rest from the oppression, rest from the, the, the wickedness that they faced. You see, this is a theme that we see all throughout the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, we see that the Jewish people were always at war with different enemies. There was always hostility towards them from all of their surrounding nations. They were attacked repeatedly by different nations. They were you know, oppressed and enslaved. They were taken into captivity. And they had this deep longing, this deep desire to just have rest from their enemies, to have a break from the constant affliction that faced them. And all through the Old Testament, what we see is God would raise up these unlikely leaders, these unlikely heroes to lead and deliver his people from the, from the attacks and from the oppression, to lead his people into this time of rest. I mean, think about somebody like Moses. Moses, this Jewish boy who was born into the Pharaoh's home. And as he grew up, he ends up murdering someone, has to flee to the wilderness where for years he's in the desert tending to sheep, thinking this is it for him. And God comes to him and raises him up and sends him back to Egypt and uses Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery, from Egypt. He uses them to, to, Moses to deliver them. After Moses, we see Joshua, this guy stepping into these, these massive shoes that, that Moses left behind. And he leads the Jewish people into the promised land. They finally have a place to call home. They finally have their own land. We see people like David. 
the least likely of all of his brothers. Like his dad didn't even invite him to the, uh, to the, to the time when the, the prophet was coming to find the king. His dad didn't even think he was worthy to be invited to that. But God chooses David. And David becomes probably the, the greatest king in Israel's history. And during his reign, they had this peace and prosperity and this, this rest from their enemies. And now we have Esther, who during this time in captivity, while they're living in Persia, is bold and courageous and uses her position and brings rest and deliverance to her people. But what we also see all throughout the Old Testament is that their rest was always temporary. No matter how much they were delivered, there was always another enemy. There was always another empire who would attack them, who would oppress them, who would take them captive. Which is why we see that the prophets in the Old Testament, they begin to to shift gears, to, to change direction. And they begin to point to this ultimate deliverer that would one day come. This Messiah, this Savior who would rescue them who would bring them true deliverance, true rest, that would actually last. And that's when we see Jesus step onto the pages of history. In a time when the Jewish people were once again marginalized, oppressed by the Roman Empire. They had no peace and they had no rest. But Jesus, he wasn't the guy they were expecting. He wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for because Jesus wasn't from royalty. He wasn't from a family of wealth and prestige. He wasn't a man of power and and influence and, and success. Just like all of Israel's past deliverers, Jesus emerged as this unlikely hero, the son of a carpenter from the, the lowly, insignificant town of Nazareth. He steps onto the pages of history. He begins to perform these miracles to to develop this following. And people begin to to catch a glimpse. They begin to, to be convinced this might actually be the Messiah. Like this might be the guy we've been waiting for. He's the one who's going to deliver us. And they expected him to deliver them from Rome. They expected Jesus to become king, to build an army, to attack the Roman government, to overthrow them. You see that they thought Jesus was here to set up his kingdom on earth, that he was gonna rule and reign and restore the Jewish people to their place of prominence, like it was when David was king, when they had peace and prosperity, they were finally going to have rest from their enemies. But this wasn't the kind of rest that Jesus had in mind. You see, Jesus wasn't here to give them physical rest. And Jesus wasn't here to give them a physical victory over the Roman Empire. Jesus was here to give them rest for their souls. And Jesus was here to bring them victory over their greatest enemy, their greatest foe, which was not Rome, which was not the next empire that they would face. It was sin. Because Jesus knew, Jesus understood that sin was responsible for their spiritual exhaustion, for the weariness, for how tired they were. He knew that sin was responsible for the the brokenness and the oppression 
and the hatred. Sin was responsible for all that was wrong in this world. And until he dealt with sin, until he dealt with that enemy, they would never be able to find true rest. But this isn't what the Jewish people wanted. They didn't want to be delivered from their sin. They didn't want to be rescued from that. They didn't want spiritual rest. They wanted to be rescued from Rome. They wanted a physical victory. They wanted a king who would set up his empire here on earth. And when they realized this isn't what Jesus was offering, this isn't what he's here to do, they rejected him. They hung him on a cross. They said, we don't want you as our king. We don't want what you have to offer us. You know, I think that, that Israel's history, all throughout the Old Testament, leading to the time of Jesus, is such a perfect picture of our world today. I mean, you look all around the world, people want to be delivered from all that is wrong. Like, people want to be rescued from the brokenness in our world, from the anxiousness, from the depression, from the hopelessness, from the emptiness. They want to find rest for their souls. They want things to be right in the world. They want things to be right in their life. But they don't want to look to Jesus for that because they don't think Jesus has anything to offer them. They don't think that Jesus can fix what is truly wrong in their souls. So they go looking for rest somewhere else. And where is it? Where do people go and look for rest and look for peace? Some people try to find rest by what I'm gonna call self-medicating, where they try to feel a certain way where they try to feel better about themselves. They're after this, this feeling, and if they can capture this feeling, well then they can ignore the pain that's underneath. It kind of numbs it out, they can ignore it, they can push it away, they can push it down, and they can just live on this feeling. So we see people, they'll turn to things like, like drugs and alcohol. We see people turn to things like sex and pornography. We see people turn to things like, like dieting and working out because what do all these things have in common? They give you this, this high. They give you this, this feeling. And when you're, you're, you're doing these things or participating in it, you feel better about yourself. You, you like the feeling that it gives you. It numbs the pain that you're feeling. But this self-medicating only brings temporary relief because when that feeling wears off, you're still left with what's underneath the surface. The spiritual and emotional pain, the emptiness, the hopelessness. And when people begin to feel that again, what do they do? They go back to whatever brought them that feeling. Whether it's alcohol or, or sex or working out, whatever it is that will recreate that feeling, recreate that high. And when that ends again and they begin to feel that pain, they go and chase it again. And they continue that over and over and it's this vicious cycle where they never find true rest for their souls. You know, I think other people, they try to find rest through achievement. They convince themselves, if I can make just this amount of money, if I can get that six-figure salary, if I can get that bonus at work, or if I can just reach this level of success, if I can just get one more promotion at work, if I can be the director, if I can be the VP, if I can just get that next promotion, it's gonna fix all my problems. I'll finally have peace, I'll finally have rest, and their life becomes all about reaching that next level. Just one more level. 
And then they get to that level and it's ah, just one more level, just a little bit more money, just a little bit more success, just one more promotion. And when they look to achievement to find rest and peace, what happens is life begins to become this, this treadmill where they're running, they're striving, they're working, and they look down and they haven't made any progress. They're still empty. They're still tired. There's no peace. So they begin to run harder and faster, work more hours, achieve more. And they look down again and they still haven't made any progress. And they become exhausted as they try to run harder, work harder, strive for more, and it never seems to be enough. They're never satisfied, they're never content. It's always about just one more, just one more. They're always restless. There's no peace, there's no rest. Some people, I think they try to find rest through religion. They just want God to, to love them. They just want God to, to accept them, to be, be, be pleased with them. And they believe that if they can just behave the right way or do enough good things or be a good person morally, then God will finally love them. God will finally accept them. They'll finally find what they've, they've been craving and longing for so long. But religion just becomes this never-ending cycle of do more, be better, try harder, and you better not mess it up. Because if you do one thing to mess it up, you'll undo all the good that you've ever done. You need to do more and you need to make sure that you never mess it up. And they never end up finding that, that rest that they're looking for. This constant effort to please God, to earn his approval, to earn his affection and his love, it just exhausts them even more. Does any of this describe your life? I know there's been seasons in my life where I have fallen prey to all those things. Where I believe, man, if I could just, if I could just feel a certain way, if I could just feel better about myself, then I'd, I'll finally be able to have peace and, and rest. Or if I could just achieve a little bit more, get that next promotion, be recognized a little bit more, have a little bit more money, then I'll have enough, then I'll be okay, then I'll be able to slow down. If I can just do a little bit more for God, lead one more Bible study, go on one more mission trip, speak one more time, maybe then God will, will love me, maybe then I'll be accepted, but none of these things bring rest to my soul. I still have that heaviness, that burden, that low-grade exhaustion, none of it seems to work. So where do we turn? Where can we find true rest for our souls? I love this invitation that Jesus extends to each and every one of us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, all who are exhausted, all who are burned out, all who feel this heaviness, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You see, the Jewish people, they missed what Jesus was truly offering them. He wasn't there to deliver them from Rome. 
He wasn't there to give them physical rest. He was there to offer them something better and they missed it. And I'm afraid that too many people in our world today, too many people in our churches today miss what Jesus is actually offering. Like Jesus did not come simply to offer us a ticket to heaven. Say, here you go, I'll see you on the other side. Jesus didn't come to simply make us better people who behave better and follow the rules better. Jesus didn't come just to to simply make us feel better about ourselves. It is so much better than that. Jesus came to bring us rest for our souls. Rest from the brokenness and the hopelessness, the anxiousness, the despair, the emptiness. And he came to deliver us from our greatest enemy, our greatest foe, which is sin. And he says that all you need to do to experience this true rest and this true deliverance is just come to me. Just come to me and look what he says, what will happen, verse 29. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we come to Jesus, he performs this this exchange. We come with our brokenness, we come with our, our, our weariness, our exhaustion, our sin, our emptiness, our hopelessness. We come to him really with nothing other than this heavy weight and burden. And what Jesus does is say, hey, I want you to take that off. I'm gonna put that on on my back and I'm gonna give you my burden. We're gonna exchange burdens and I will carry your heavy burden. And you can take my burden, which is easy and which is light. You can find true rest for your souls. So I just wonder today as we wrap up, where are you looking for rest? Where are you trying to find rest and peace for your soul? Is it through self-medicating where you're chasing this feeling, you're chasing this high that numbs the pain, that masks it? Are you looking for it through achievement, through the promotion or through success or through, through the money? Are you looking for, to, to find that rest through your religious efforts? Man, if you're looking for rest, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for for true satisfaction in those things, you're gonna be left feeling frustrated, dissatisfied, and even more exhausted. Listen, our need for rest, our deep need for rest for our souls, it points us to the one who can offer us true rest. And true rest can only be found in Jesus. When we come to him, he says when we learn from him and we exchange our burden with his burden because his burden is easy and his burden is light.